Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rules of the Game, a podcast for Independent Education's Great Conversations Project, where your host, Butch Porter, that's me, has in-depth conversations with good people about great ideas. If you're listening to this on the Great Conversations page or on our Patreon, we're excited to have you. Please consider becoming a subscriber on either of those pages to get access to special content. Also, for your convenience, please add us to your podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or basically anywhere you listen to podcasts. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Rules of the Game podcast. My name is Butch Porter. I'm your humble host. And with me today is the uh, the one and only, the illustrious, the beautiful and talented Sophia A. Nelson, who is a visiting scholar at Christopher Newport University. Um, we talk a lot about on this, on, on this podcast about, uh, I don't know, we don't talk about cancel culture as much as one might expect. Um, we do a lot. We spend a lot of time avoiding uh, um, actual topical conversations <laughs> because we want to get into the ideas. But uh, today we're going to make an exception and talk a little bit about what's going on around the country and uh, and and when it, when it comes to uh, stifling free thought, especially in higher education. And Sophia Nelson uh, is a perfect person to help uh, have that conversation. So welcome. Hey, Butch, it's good to be with you again and with your uh, listeners. And uh, I think this is a critical topic. It's happening all across America. I call it campus cancel culture sure, uh, yeah. because it's happening to professors at MIT, at Yale, at Harvard, at Purdue. It's been going on for Christopher Newport. Seven years now. I, I yeah. it's, it's kind of wild. So I want to paint for our listeners who may not be familiar with the uh, scenario. Right. Uh, I want to I want to like just have them maybe if you're not driving, you know, close your eyes and picture this. Let's say, for instance, a um, a professor who is uh, proud to be a bisexual, uh, uh, you know, encountered a comic book in which the son of a famous comic book character had decided to become a devout Christian. And, and so tweeted something along the lines of, well, you know, I, I don't know why they have to do this. Uh, it's, I mean, it's obvious that the comic book companies are forcing Christianity uh, down our throats. I'm trying to picture a scenario that where, where that particular professor gets asked to be fired by anyone, including, um, I mean, who, what, which which Christian professors do you know would ask to have that professor fired? Do you know any? You no, know, Butch, that's such a great opening because it's it's an analogy that I've played with myself over these last three weeks as I have been in the middle of a firestorm. And the analogy that he's given you folks is a real life analogy just in reverse. I am a Christian professor an African-American female, the first in the school's history as a scholar, by the way. Mm -hmm. And I tweeted out in response on October 11th to the DC comic book uh, announcement on coming out day, which I plead ignorance on. I did not realize it was coming out day. And um, I tweeted a question. And my question was, ah, shaking my head. 
why are we doing this? And then I said, you know, how does a Christian parent explain to their child about this comic book? And more importantly, most of them won't know how. Right. And we're talking about. And that's where I ended it. And we're talking about Superman's son. Yep. who has come out as bisexual and there's a picture of him kissing another guy or whatever. Yeah, very forcefully grabbing him, which I think also I wasn't a fan of. And that was my tweet, the first of probably a yep. series of 10. And then I went on to explain that I was concerned as an aunt, uh, which I know you are as a dad, that I don't want our kids exposed to heterosexual sex, homosexual sex, anything. I even said, I don't think there should be a Christian character. This is a comic book. Let kids be kids. Why well, shouldn't there be a Christian character? We can get to that, the, but you get the my point. The point is there aren't any. Well, there are. Right? They're right. You're right. Right. And I mean, you're if, you're talking, right if you're talking about underrepresented, the oversexualized uh, are way more represented than devout christians in comic books these days let's well let's christians that's are deemed to be prudes and we're not sexual creatures and you and i've had this talk many times about how much our faith uh both of our face all face have a lot to say about sex they do and so the point is folks that we're talking about this actually happened in real life and it created the most unbelievable nightmare for me for my college campus, for faculty and others, the people who were going about the business of doing what we do. The LGBTQ plus uh, community has risen up in a way that is even extreme for what I've seen them do on something like this, where I'm a bigot, I'm a racist, I'm a black woman, I'm a racist. Yeah, where did the racism come from? How did I, I don't know, out? I guess they decided to throw that in for good measure on their online. I saw that, I'm like, yeah. they accused Sophia Nelson of being a racist. Yeah. Um, they don't I, tell well, me what I did, but it doesn't matter apparently. They can say well, whatever no, they want to say. Could, the rest of can't. You could be considered xenophobic because the character at play is half alien. So maybe, okay. that's, so maybe that's it. You just, you're anti-Kryptonian. Yes, um, maybe. That, that sort of bigotry i don't know you know sophia and it I, is I can that. take a lot Thank of things for... but anti-alien bigotry is not uh that we we should know better right? yeah i mean i think to your point and i love the humor because it helps us to keep it human <laughs> i but have folks, to laugh otherwise i'll cry sophia right but folks what we're talking about is what my brother butch here introduced me to the word free thought now you know i'm a smart girl with a lot of credentials and I teach on, I knew about freedom of speech and I know about the first amendment and I know about academic freedom, but I never really thought about this notion of free thought. And the fact is that we all have it, whether you're gay, straight, black, white, yellow, red, whatever you are, you have the right to think your thoughts, to worship your God, to love who you love, all of that without somebody coming in butch and telling you as has been, been done to me that my apologies aren't good enough. They wanna, they wanna write my apology. They wanna tell me how to feel, what to say, how to think, how to respond. And when I don't conform, I'm bad, I'm evil, quote, I'm dangerous, that word has been used. Um, how could they let me come to their campus and how could they bring this woman to this campus? What are my credentials? It's been racist yeah. and awful. No, I, let me let me tell you, I've you know, since you and I talked, I, know, I guess a week ago about this topic, um, you know, I, I, I try to put a lot of thought into, you know, what, what I think the challenge is, right? Mm -hmm. And I think 
And I think um, I want to be fair in how I lay this out because it's not something (laughs) you and I have, have, have talked about before, really. So one is the nature of, and this is the, the first part is, is very familiar uh, to, to most of the people that would, would know how I feel about these things. But, and that is that we have decided that because someone's views might be based on uh, religious precepts, that they're not as valid, which is, which is interesting. Like, in other words, they're invalid. Yeah, which is kind of the opposite of the way the law works, right? And last time I checked, religious religious conscience has a, a exercise and and freedom from from uh, uh, you know having a, a, an established religion by a state is is first amongst our freedoms. It's, it's the one that is given the most time and attention in our First Amendment, and. It is the one that actually, the only one that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with speech, which was my point when we talked the other day is that, you know, religion is not just about speech and it's not just about worship. It's about where we center our lives, how we center our lives, how we view ourselves anthropologically. Like when I when I think of what it means to be a human being, I'm thinking about it in terms of um, how I view humanity's touch of the divine and our relationship with our creator. That's how I look at being a human being. Mm-hmm. Now, it is perfectly rational uh, and fair and um, legal and moral, at least to a degree, and all those things to center your life around something else if you want to. I'm not telling people and I don't think you are, that they have to center themselves around, uh, you know, a, a, a view of humanity and ourselves individually, which I'll get to in a minute, um, as, as a creature of God. But last time I checked, it's not illegal to do that, right? So, and, and, and it's not even, and it's not even in, in a, in any way that I can imagine um, a point of view that can be excluded from public discourse. Like it's not, because all I'm hearing now is that sure, we're supporters of free speech, but that doesn't mean there shouldn't be consequences for your speech. That's fine. I agree with that, but I call bullshit. And what I mean by that is that we seem to think that um, the consequences of speech that one disagree with is expulsion. And that's not, that's not the way it works because they can insult my faith all day long and there's and no do. recrimination. And they do. And, and they, they do. do. And they on do. a regular basis. Now, on a regular know, basis. But here's the thing. I know that I'm not oppressed. Like I live in a country where I can say what I want and it's, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm not complaining. But that's my I don't point. agree that that's true. I don't think you can say my, what you want. My point, and, and, that's true. But my point uh, in the opening, my point in the opening, and this is, and I want to get to the number two point, which I think is, which most of our listeners are going to ignore. They're going to listen to this part, but I want to get this part out of the way before I talk about the second part, which I think will be a great exercise. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm biased because it's my exercise, but <laughs> But to finish this first part, the, 
my point of opening the way I did is that I don't know of a Christian professor or a, an important person or a celebrity or a person in power right now in 2021 who could get a bisexual professor, professor fired for denigrating Christianity or Christian believers or people who would not want to buy a comic book or whatever. Or, it wouldn't or, happen. It wouldn't happen because they wouldn't, wouldn't go after them. They wouldn't even bring it up because they would know better automatically it's, that they it's couldn't accepted. do anything it's accepted. It's accepted. It's Absolutely. accepted in the culture. So one, one of the things that I think is interesting is, is that the people, and this is a huge problem, and we're going to get to, to other issues that this might connect with later. But one of the reasons this is a huge problem is this concept of representation. Mm-hmm. Like when I see a certain bisexual professor, and there is an actual bisexual professor who's been, you know, uh, writing open letters and, and oh, saying the one bad stirring the pot, Danielle Stern. Let's call her by her name. And she okay. wants to play hardball. Let's go ahead and put it out there. I don't know her. I don't have any opinions about her. I, I don't, don't either. I don't care. But the point is, if she's going to talk about how proud she is. Yep. I got to call it again. I do because most people who have, you know, who are either homosexual or bisexual or they're trans or they're whatever, they don't, you know, it's, it's not a, it's, it's for most people in those situations, especially when you're talking about the gender dysphoria. And uh, I, I don't, I don't think they're all like going through their day, like most of them going through their day, thinking about how proud they are. If that's yeah. the case, if that's the case, then, then I'm, I'm not sure where the oppression is. So we kind of, we probably need to pick a lane, right? Where we either have decided that this is something we should be proud of. And by the way, every public school in Loudoun County has rainbow flags on it. To, to, to feel like they're not supported right now would be an inaccurate statement, which means, let's just walk it back, which means that if they have a legitimate uh, complain against, you know, uh, the establishment being in you and I, then, then it would be historical, right? So we would say like, you know, uh, well, yeah, but they've been so oppressed in the fa- past that, you know, you and I should be oppressed now because we were the historical oppressors. I, that may be true. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't know. Um, that has, that has parallels and analogies. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think a couple things. First and foremost, uh, you are absolutely right. And I, I want your listeners to get this because everybody throws around the term cancel culture a lot. And I think there's something innately human within us, which all of us that knows when somebody's trying to take away our voice, our freedom, our thought, our ability to make a decision and decide for ourselves. Now, the challenge I have to your point with the LGBTQ plus community, and I want to be really exact about what I want to say here is that in this instance at Christopher Newport, the charge against me was that my tweeted question, I am an opinion columnist and I get paid a lot of money for my opinions and to be a pundit. That's what I do. Being a visiting scholar in residence means, yes, I need to be mindful that I teach students. I'm an academic, but that does not mean that I gave up my voice to do the other things that I do. And getting back to the charge against me that my question, I did not disparage 
LTBDQ, LGBTQ plus, sorry, I want to get it right. I did not disparage. I said nothing unkind. I did none of the sort. I didn't do it on campus. I didn't do it from a campus email. I didn't do it from a campus radio or television. It had nothing to do with Christopher Newport University. And this offended bisexual professor, who was the first one to respond to my tweet that I didn't even see, said that she was disappointed and she wanted to talk. And then she brought it into the campus and filed a Title IX complaint against me for a tweet. Let me tell you let something. Let me finish. I... Let me finish. Let sure, me finish. go ahead. Let me finish. And then it went to hell from there. So my point is, is that the hypocrisy of this community, and I want to say it directly because I've been berated, bashed, called unkind things. I've done none of that to anybody. And this community's hypocrisy is to your point. They get to have free thought, free speech. They get to tell the rest of us what to do. And when we don't do it, and when we don't line up, they will take us out. That should not be acceptable to any American, anywhere, at any time. I'm done for the moment. Amen. Okay. So I, I agree. I, I think, I, I don't know a lot, but I do know that they're not disappointed. Okay. I mean, they're, they're happy. They're they're pumped because no, they, they want more. I haven't been fired yet, and I'm not need, going to be. They need they need a cause, right? I mean, how how advanced are we as a progressive society? If the worst thing to happen on that campus from a uh, uh, homophobia standpoint is your tweet, yep, it's pretty I mean, bad, isn't it? I mean, we yeah. must be doing pretty well. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm not buying that it was even an offensive tweet. Look, that again, wasn't about my tweet. That's clear. Now it's clear. Well, of course not. I mean, well, I mean, that was the charge, right? That was the initial charge. But as you dig through the politics of this, you realize that the Department of Communications in the College of Sciences, Social Sciences, has an agenda. And it's laid out in the open letter of October 15th that Dr. Daniel Stern sends when the faculty Senate is meeting to come up with a solution on how we can all get together and make this a good thing and talk and, and, and work with the students and get me there because that's why a scholar is in residence because you want the dialogue, you want the back and forth. And after that letter and that missive, it was clear to me that she doesn't like the DEI director who's a black woman. She doesn't think she's competent to be there. She doesn't um, agree with uh, Dean Lori Underwood, who is the College of Arts and Humanities Dean, who has a women and gender conference and who brings women of color like me into a very, very, very white monolithic school that has very bad diversity record. And everybody knows it. It's bad. Everybody knows it. It's a not a secret. Of, bunch of white yeah. privileged people. Right? Well, you know, your words, not mine. But what I'm saying is there's a lot of privilege you're right and a lot of entitlement to feel that to say that i am a racist is something that i think for me was that's when i was tell. done that's a I was tell done. is what that is that's yeah. a that's like a that's like a signal it's like the fact that they threw in racist which makes absolutely no sense no. tells me that they're not even think there's no reality to what they're, it's nope. just like it's like a form letter well they've been allowed to get away with it the kids are running the asylum right i mean let's let's just call it what it is i mean at the end of the day no let's... adults have said hey guys you can't put a petition down on paper and accuse this woman of this understand you're doing defamatory libelous stuff and she could sue you 
Like nobody's talking real talk. And we're not teaching these kids, Butch, that you can't do this at your job. You, think- you can't do this in your community. This is not how you resolve conflict. But we've known we've known that this is going to be a problem since 2014. And people like myself and many others were yelling and screaming and ranting and raving about that Yale conversation with uh I can't remember the dude's name. Uh, it's a Greek name. He was the master at Yale and he was, uh, his wife sent, uh, sent out an email about Halloween costumes or something. And it all went to H-E double hockey sticks and a bread. Okay. Basket. I have to look that up. I'm not. Familiar. Yeah. That's how it all started. And then there was, uh, Brett, Brett and, uh, Brett Weinstein and Heather Hine out of, uh, out of, uh, um, um, Somewhere in the Midwest, right? No, no, no. Chicago, East, East, uh, West Coast. It was Evergreen okay. College in Oregon. Okay. And they were kicked out because uh, Brett Weinstein uh, was not going to participate in something called a whiteout day, uh, blackout day. They've been doing for a few years. It's the wokest college campus in America, like by a long shot. And they were doing this thing called Blackout Day where the, where the African-American students would not come to campus on that day to show how important they were, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, and that had been going on for a while, but then this, this particular year, I think it was maybe 17, 16, they decided that it was going to be a whiteout day, which means instead of the African-Americans not showing up on campus voluntarily, that the white people were not going to be allowed to come to campus involuntarily and wow. so brett weinstein a very progressive and very left of center liberal professor of evolutionary biology something like that um said um no i don't think that's i don't think you can tell me not to come to campus because of the color of my skin it's not going to work out and so they ended up canceling him and firing him and now he's got this podcast and his wife i i bring this up partially to bring up his wife heather hein has this thing on her twitter feed that talks about it's just this very simple thing it's a pinned tweet and it says come to me as a human being first an individual second and then third and only third yep you can go tribal but you better know what you're yep. talking about and yep. it's i i keep saying that I've, I've said that several times in this podcast and i keep i keep cribbing from uh from heather hyden for that purpose because i think that it says a lot about where we are and and it goes back to that, that anthropology, like what it means to be a human being is the first step. And, and I think if you add to the fact that a large percentage of our zeitgeist right now has sex and sexuality at the center of what it means to be a human being, and to be honest, the Christian right doesn't, uh, the Christian, Christian conservatives don't feel like, I mean, we, we're big fans of sex. We kind of but we are actually, the, cha- the challenge is, aren't we all right? Come on. Well, and then there's, and then there's the other, there's the other extreme, right? So, uh, you know, I said this to a friend of mine and the response was, well, yeah, but I mean, we actually don't center sex. We just don't think sex is that important. It's just a thing. Animals do it. And so do we and blah, blah, blah. So yeah. Um, so Christians on the other hand, and by the way, most world religions, actually pretty much all major world religions have opinions about sex no and doubt. We, we and it is a paradox and it's something that the unreligious don't understand so let me try to explain it to them we simultaneously think sex is a very sacrosanct and special thing and it also is not what identifies us and defines us okay so if you 
can hold those two notions in your brain at the same time, you might be able to understand what a religious point of view of sex is. And here's my overall point on that. And I want to move on, but it is, there is no better definition of the first amendment in my view than to allow a human being to think, speak and act in a way that um, that matches up and comports with his, its view, their view of humanity, as long as they're not doing it in a way that directly harms other people. And the other thing I want to call, say a lie is that people have been hurt and harmed. I don't believe it. I don't. Oh, believe I agree with you wholeheartedly. I don't believe. I don't believe any bisexual person in 2021 has been harmed by your tweet. It's not true. It's a I lie. Agree. It's not true. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly, and they have a whole lexicon of language, uh, particularly, again, Stern gets into this in her missive, that they've created. If you go on the internet right now and you Google me, you're going to, instead of the 25, 30-year stellar career I've had with no one labeling me in any way that's inappropriate or unkind or untoward, now I'm a homophobe, anti-gay, transphobe, uh, racist. I'm a racist. That's my favorite one because I wow, is that just I'm so disgusting. I'm still trying to figure that one out. You and, and like everybody said, else, but it, it was another word to throw at me that, like you said, it was a call to arms to for somebody ignorant might not even know I'm an African American woman who's won awards for her work in diversity and gender and my books and all the things I do in the world. It's a way to cut me down. It's a way to take away my credentials. It's a way to silence my voice. So what I want to say about this, which to your point is. They have a whole language that they've created now that has words like, so for example, if you were to get on Twitter and say, well, look, I'm a Christian man. And like the teacher here in Loudoun County where you and I both live, you know, he said, look, I'm not gonna call a boy a girl, a girl boy. They're both God's creation. I'm not gonna use the pronouns. I'm not gonna do it. It offends my faith. Well, obviously that set off a, a firestorm. And then they tried to cancel him and thank God for the state Supreme Court of Virginia that said, no, you're going to give him his job back and he's going to be reinstated because he's got free thought and free speech. Let me finish. And it's important. So what I'm saying is, is that there's no respect in this process that I've gone through for anything other than the language they've created to label us prejudicially, by the way, to persuade others that, Butch, you're not worthy of being in somebody's workplace. You're not worthy of being in somebody's PTA meeting. You're not worthy of being in any place because you're dangerous and your words are violence. They use terms like violence for words. You ever been called nigger? Sorry, I'm going to go here because I have been. I've been called that. That's violence because there's a historical context of people's homes being burned and people being run out in my family. I'm a descendant of slaves. I've written about this. I've talked this. And I love my white great-great-great-grandfather who was a slave master's son and ran away with my great-great-great-great-grandmother. And they started a life together after the Civil War. And I'm the progeny of that. So don't talk to me about violence. How dare you? And I'm angry because I haven't been able to speak. I've been silenced. I've been muted. I've been attacked. And all my good work that I went to that school to do, Butch, and I am emotional because I went there to do good. I love those kids. I have transgender students and LGBTQ plus students, and I love them all. And I treat them all the same. And if they had courage, 
because they're texting me and they're DMing me and they're Facebooking me because they're afraid to speak out because they don't want to be part of the mob. They don't want to get taken out. Professors don't want to lose their jobs. People are afraid. It's disgusting. It's not America. It's not the America I love anyway. It's not. Sorry I dropped the N-word on your podcast, but I'm Black. I said it, and it needs to be said because it's a fact. Don't talk to me about violence. That's violence. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead, Bush. I know. No, it's fine. I, I, I want to hear you. I, I think... I, I think the challenge, <clears throat> the challenge that I've had um, is trying to understand, again, I think that the majority of the people who are, who are really concerned about the plight of the LGBTQIA plus community is are, are normal human beings who just wanted to, to find happiness and love and, 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 and compassion in, in the world. I, uh, I've, I've listened to a few you know, sources and read a few sources that I, you know, respect over the last couple of weeks on this topic. And, and I think maybe I can, the flip side of the thing is that I'm a devout Christian. You're a devout Christian. There are two ways, and I want to summarize this quickly, because I, I want to talk about it in, in a way that's not too, you know, too exclusive. Um, there are two different ways that the Christian community approaches the LGBTQIA plus community, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to go ahead and like, you know, spoil or tell you that I think both choices are um, insufficient. Okay. So mm-hmm. one is the one that the the community at, at, at quite or at least the activists and and i i would say that even more than the even even the 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 rank and file if you will or the or the uh the the people who are activists who are just gay or 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 transgender i think most of them would say that the first thing they think of when they think of a of, of a christian community's reaction to lgbt would be you know get out of here like you're not welcome. We want nothing to do with you. We don't want fags in our church. We don't want blah blah. I don't blah. know any Christians like that, but okay, go ahead. Well, I think that's the perception. I think your average Christian. I think their average. Well, I think your average church. If you went to your typical church, uh, evangelical church, or or um, or I mean, name a church. It doesn't matter what church. I think that the perception is that from and i don't think it's i don't think it's an unfounded perception and this is what i want to go i want to dig in and actually try to talk about this like we have a problem to solve as opposed to um you know fighting the free speech battle which i you know i i I think it's i I think that's look it's really easy to me like it doesn't matter which of the scenarios is true like the first scenario which was the opposite or your scenario whichever one is asking the other one to be fired is the one that's wrong Right. That's uh-huh. the way I look at it. Right. So I think that's fairly simple. But the question is, what does the Christian community do with the LGBT world? And I think they've been responding in one of two ways. I think a lot of Christians I know would reject it. They would reject, you know, especially churched Christians, like people who are active in a church. Like if you go to a prominent or a decent sized Christian church in the United States, I think. There's at least a there's a reasonable assumption that an LGBT person would have that they wouldn't be welcome in that church. 
And even if it wouldn't be blatant, that they wouldn't feel comfortable. Well, let me tell you what my pastor's policy is. I go to Community Church Ashburn uh, here in Northern Virginia, one of the two big ones like Cornerstone, and uh, where uh, the gentleman who taught in the Loudoun County Public Schools goes. Uh, And um, our, our policy is this. We love everybody. You come worship the Lord, get your worship on. We're going to treat you fine. You're going to sit down and break bread with us. We're going to love on you. Where I think the line gets drawn goes back to the Obergefell case, which I've talked about many times in my classes, along with Loving versus Virginia and other cases where the Constitution has evolved to be more inclusive from privacy interests to rights for women to rights for former slaves, now African-Americans, to now gay people. The Obergefell case says that same-sex marriage is legal. As an officer of the court, which I'm good with that, that's fine. As a Christian with over 2,000 years of Christian doctrine and tradition of what traditional marriage is between a male and a female, as a Christian Bible-believing Christian, I don't agree with that. I do agree that gay people can be married under the law, They can have civil unions. They should be able to eat in the same restaurants as us, come to our house and have dinner. All of that should be normal, like everyday stuff. But as a Christian, we've got to have the grace without you calling me a religious bigot and then you smearing me and and opening up an open letter to the campus. Let me finish. Open talking about that my beliefs, somehow you know my heart, are wrapped around my Christian under the guise of Christianity, how dare you? Like there's something called religious freedom in this country and it doesn't get respected particularly by this particular community. Okay, so what I'm trying to get to is I'm I'm trying to get past just for a few minutes, past the issue of of whether you've been treated fairly because I don't think you have. And I think you're the 97th professor in these United States who are, who's been, I don't know how many, but who's been treated. Right, fairly. I'm sure you've chatted with the, you know, Lukanoff and, and uh, hate and can't uh, wait to talk with them. They're, they're my heroes. I love them. Yeah. So Lukanoff is doing good work. The, the fire, the freedom uh, foundation for individual rights and in education. So, <clears throat> I mean, I think, I think all that's great. I, and I agree, but you know, I'm a believer that when it comes to, and this is kind of the, it's sort of the core of the problem, when it comes to values and morals and how we engineer our lives and how we center ourselves, that there's one of two very popular approaches. Uh, And one is to worry about what everybody else is doing. And the other is worrying about what we're doing and what we can control. So Mm -hmm. I want to focus on what we can do better as Christians as opposed to what people think that we're doing, right? So, so just what you did is you jumped to the second scenario. And the second scenario that I was, was positing is we're just accepting of them. Like some, some churches are just, yeah, you know, we will love, we love everyone. Everybody's free to worship here. Everything's fine. Except for Christianity doesn't actually like as a theology and as a belief system for 2000 years, we don't actually believe that homosexual activity is okay. Yeah, but, I mean, here, I think- but here's the, but here's the, let me just real quick, look, but here's the problem. Okay. And this is a problem that I think we have now because we have a tendency to react to the, to the, to the forces that are surrounding us. And right now Christians are reacting. Right. And I think, 
and it's been going on for a long, long time. I think it's not hard to find like it will, it wouldn't be hard for your average listener to get on YouTube and find clips of preachers who are denouncing homosexuality as some great stain and blah, 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 which obviously if you're an LGBT person wouldn't feel great. And so I completely appreciate that. But the problem is, is that, is that the reason why that's bad though, is because it seems to be that we focus on homosexual activity and not heterosexual sin. Right. So what happens is, you know, adultery and philandering and having sex with whatever you want to seems to be okay. It's not, it's not that we say that it's okay, but we're not spending a lot of time denouncing sex before marriage, not as much time as we are spending on homosexuality. And I think that is a relevant critique of the Christian zeitgeist, if you will, the, the Christian point of view now the predominant Christian, mainstream Christian point of view. Right. So let me comment, Butch. You got to breathe. Sure. You got to let your guests talk. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so the, um, let, let's take apart a couple things you said, because I think it's, it's instructive. Number one, let's get back to this context we both talked about, which is what does Christianity have to say about sex? It has a lot to say about sex. That's right. A lot. It has a lot to say about sexuality. Now, it's not in the Old Testament, folks. You go right to Romans chapter one and you can read all about it and you can go through the gospels and other places. And there are a number of places where it's very clear that if you are a Bible-believing New Testament Christian, you will condemn a number of things around sex, adultery, fornication, uh, homosexuality. Uh, what? Give me some of the other ones. Sodomy. In uh, yeah, sodomy. There, there's a list right now. Here's what's important and what's exciting about this to me. And I would have loved to have had this dialogue with the kids because it's That's a good time here. Right. Yeah. But with the kids on the campus, I would have loved to said to them, guys, I am. And I practice as a Christian. I'm celibate. Now, that may be too much information for some people. I'm in a relationship with the man, but I am celibate as is he because we're Christians. It doesn't mean we don't hug each other, touch each other, but there are boundaries. Now, people may say, well, Jesus, you're too grown for that. That's like high school. No, I'm committed to my faith. So I practice what I preach. And for me, um, and I've been consistent that way. Have I always walked that line perfectly? I have not because I'm a sinner and I fall short like everybody else. But outside of marriage, my faith is very clear that I should not engage in sexual intercourse. And, and, and that relationship is save for marriage. And I know that that's archaic. My nieces laugh and say, that's 16th century, Aunt Sophie. And I'm like, <laughs> no, it's, it's Bible. It's and so, 21st century to us. Right. But what I'm saying to those of you listening, hear my heart on this. I have no judgment about what you do or who you love. That's your choice. I'm a Christian. So I make a different choice. I also respect that my faith is not your faith. I also respect that we don't live in a theocracy. We don't live in a country where my religious beliefs as an evangelical Christian or a Baptist or an Orthodox Jew or a, a Orthodox Greek Orthodox, whatever it is, we don't have a country where we get to decide what you do based on my religion. That's the good news. Flip that around to Butch's earlier point, and you've got where he started this conversation, which is, had this been a bisexual professor who saw a comic book character with a big cross around their neck 
and said, I don't want my kids seeing that Christian stuff, which they say, oh, just go online and look at what members of the LGBTQ plus community say routinely about other communities and how they feel about them. And then they slap a label on them, call them intolerant, call them bigots, call them racist, call them, what was that word you used? Xenophobe, did you use that word? Xenophobe, yeah. Xenophobe, all these other phobes, right? We got phobes, right? We're so, scared of everything. We're scared of everything. Yeah. We're scared of Christians. Right. That's the conversation I would like to have had, which is, you don't want me in this space. Why don't you be honest that my being a black female conservative Christian drives you insane? That's the lecture I got Bush from the little openly bisexual alumni who went on a tear about, I have no honor and I betrayed myself as a black woman because she's been a black woman for 50 years like I have. And so, you know, just the obnoxiousness of these people to lecture the rest of us about how we're supposed to think and feel. Now, I hope that we're gonna get to, in these next 20 minutes, the discussion about what this is doing to our country. Because people aren't getting why there's a big divide and why people are really pissed off. And this cancel culture thing is huge, huge. So I'll let you, do you want to talk about that or what do you want to talk about? Well, I want to spend about five of those minutes uh, talk, finishing the conversation okay. about what it means to be a Christian and how to deal with the LGBT community. Cause I do think it's a challenge. Like, Cause here, here's the thing that I think one should understand is that the christian view on sin which is what is that issue here okay i'm going to use a word it's called sin now those of you who have never heard that word um let me tell you it's not something that is not i mean it's something that is part of the way we understand humanity as christians sin is a thing Okay, so if you're not a religious person, then sin is not a thing, but it is for us. And the way that we understand sexual sin is not um, orientation. Yeah, okay? the concept not. of same-sex orientation is absent from the Bible. It's not yeah. relevant. Okay, so okay. here's where the here's where the challenge lies. So what we are serious about is sexual activity. And so the division is, the, 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 the rub is not where uh, one is attracted to the same sex as where one is having intercourse outside of marriage, right? Which brings up a challenge. And the challenge is that there's no sex outside of marriage. And if you're not married- Which I have a, my best so, friend- be quiet on every I have a friend who's got a son who is openly homosexual and he's a Christian he was raised a Christian by his parents sure. and he has made the decision that unless and until he gets married to a man at some point he will be celibate because he believes that that would violate his Christian principles now I can't get into discussion about his orientation because that's above my pay grade. And I don't want to get into that discussion because there's nothing to do with me. Just like you and I talked about last week over lunch. I don't really want to know about someone being bisexual or whatever, because it's really none of my business. I, I want to know who you are. I want to know your heart. Okay. I have a, 
I have a, I have a problem though. This is where I object okay. to that framing. Okay. This is really okay. important to me. Okay. Okay. So my church experience, it's not that it, it's not that it's really my business. It's just that we, we have uh, viewpoints on how a family operates. And we have, I mean, we, we, I mean, my church welcomes in children and we, we, uh, uh, we embrace and we, you know, have rights uh, surrounding motherhood, even pregnancy and, and, and birth. And um, I'm just, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that the way that the way that a church community works is, is not absent the family unit. Like families are a, a basic framework of how a church works. And if the church doesn't believe that a same-sex couple is a actual married couple, then they, they just can't welcome them in exactly the same way if they're going to be honest to the Christian faith. Okay. So, which means that if you are homosexual, you're kind of put in an awkward position. This is what I'm trying to get to is that it is awkward. It is hard. It is hard. It's not, I'm, and I want to make sure that we're not like minimizing the difficult. No, I think it's very difficult. I agree LGBT with LGBT person yeah. interacts with the Christian community right now. Look in my church, I'm an Orthodox Christian. Everybody who's listened to me more than once knows this. And I had a conversation with a Mormon friend we have in common. And, and we actually had the same say we laughed about the same concept it's not even cool to be single in an Orthodox or a Mormon church. Right. Right. right Much right. less gay. Right. right. So, which so is all our, what we're which actually, what we're actually asking of a homosexual person is to be celibate for life. And that's not something that the rest of us have to be. We, we have to be, we have to be celibate outside of marriage, but most, most single people have the opportunity at some point to, you know, hopefully get married and, 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 uh, and have, uh, you know, sexual relations in a biblical way, but a gay person does not have that luxury. And this, this is why the bisexual thing is bordering on hilarious because they don't have that conflict. All that, all the bisexuality means from a Christian standpoint is that they may be attracted to double the amount of people outside of their marriage as they would otherwise. And if they don't act on any of those attractions, they can be as Christian as the rest of us. All of us. Look, all of us. I'm a dude in the 21st century. Do you think that pornography and sin is not a part of what sure. it means to be a male in the 21st century with access? I can get the, the most pornish porn porn on my computer yeah. in the next yeah. 20 seconds if I want to. You know, we've that had is this a discussion. really hard thing to manage. Right. And I know that it's, I know that it's hard. We've and had so this discussion not- in our church many times about with both married, singles, those who want to be sure. married. And I've listened to testimony after testimony of men get up with tears about the damage they cause in their marriage or in sure. their relationships with the secret relationship with porn. They weren't seeing another woman on the side. They weren't doing that. They were doing something maybe more damaging. They were sneaking down to the computer. And so I think to wrap it, because I want to make sure that we yeah. get to, no, we got time. Go to ahead. speak again to the LGBTQ plus community. Here's what I want to say. And I've said this consistently for 10 years since that first appearance on MSNBC a decade ago when I was debating Mike Eric Dyson about 
same-sex marriage before it was legalized. And that is, is that you have every right I do. You are a human being, which is where we started this. You should be treated with love, respect, and everything that I want. But you've got to give it. You can't go through life, folks. I get, I don't get, but I do get as a Black woman, I get what it is like to be marginalized, to be invisible, to be all these things that you talk about. I get it. But at the end of the day, I can't live my life being offended. I can't live my life going after people because they upset me. I can't go after people and cancel people and take their job and try to take them out. That's just not a good human being. That's not who you want to be. And that's what I want to say to my kids, Butch. Be mad. Be offended. Then let's talk about it. But don't do petitions and get a thousand signatures. I mean, the mob. And it is a lynch mob. And I've said that to the media and I'll say it is a lynch mob. I feel like a hunted animal on my campus right now. You, you think you feel bad about a tweet of a question that had nothing to do with you? Try being called the names you've called me. Try, try having colleagues who've never met you sign a document against you that calls you a racist. Try it. See how you feel. That's being afraid. That's being violated. That's violence to my spirit. But nobody seemed to care about that, Butch. I didn't have any rights in this process. And that's what makes me really upset. I had no rights, none. Hey, let me ask you, let me ask you a quick question. If you, uh, if you had put on a hijab and said the exact same tweet as a Muslim, do you think nobody that would touch me? No, nope. you don't think? I mean, no, I know I that five years ago, nobody would have touched you, but I mean, are, is that, is that low enough on the, is that no, high I, enough I on think, the, I, I think African-American didn't help you, right? I, mean, well, I, th I think it would have been handled differently because I think the administration and others would have been afraid because they all operate in fear. If we're going to tell the truth, um, they would have been afraid to get the Muslim community angered. And then have to deal with that as well as the LGBTQ plus for me, I'm just a black girl with a, on a campus with no black people. So what am I going to do? They think. And so the Christian community has failed me on the campus. The conservative community failed me on the campus. Where was the federal society? Where were you guys standing up for free, free thought and free speech and academic freedom? You're sending me DMs and talking about Oh, this is nasty how they're treating you and I, grown men, the chaplain. Yeah, I'm outing you. Sending me nice notes undercover, but you won't stand up and call a thing a thing and say, this is wrong. We're not doing the right thing by this lady. Won't do it. Well, yeah. Can I just, I'm just going to, mean, you may not love this. I, I don't care. What? By the way, by the way, most of our conversations, most of Sophia and I's conversations usually starts with me saying something. All right, Sophia, I'm going to say something you might not like. I don't know why he does these disclaimers because I'm good. Go ahead, get it out. Right. So I think, I think there's a lesson to be learned here, and that is I'm never because, tweeting about the LGBTQ plus community again as long as I live. That's my lesson, and I'm serious about that. I got. I better. will never mention them in a tweet i will if i saw let me tell you what this is a true story but that's on Twitter, not right you well it's be able not to talk listen about whoever you want to talk no, about no i'm not I'm, i'll never do it again and and i've already made that the 
decision. That's what they want, Sophia. They want you to not do it again. Well, they they win because my black butt ain't saying nothing no more. So on Twitter the other day, there was a discussion about um, something to do with lesbian women were being assaulted by transgender, I think, men in the the, uh, bathrooms. And the lesbians were mad at the heterosexual women who weren't defending them. I saw that stuff come on my timeline. I start blocking folks. I was like, I ain't in this. I ain't got nothing to say. And I don't. I ain't in it. Okay. I'm never look, talking about it. Look, okay. Well, I disagree. I, th- I think we should um, be able to talk about it. After um, what I've been through, I'm good. No, 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 no. But give it a few weeks. You'll get over it. I promise. You'll have opinions and you'll want to express them. And you should be able to. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. Just be, I'm just being frank. It doesn't matter our politics at this point, right? I mean, mm-hmm. y- you've been, let's just say, Trump skeptical. Now I'm a never Trumper. I am. Right? You've- uh, But you've, I'm a conservative to my heart. Yeah, I, I, I know you are, but I'm just saying that all of the, all the ways in which we try to distance ourselves from the extremists on our side mm-hmm. is never going to help us. It doesn't, in other words, it doesn't provide any cover. You're being an African-American woman didn't even provide you any cover. Nope. Right? I got called a racist. Isn't that awesome? Which I still can't understand. But yep. my point is, is that there's no amount of cover that can be gained by trying to placate the other side. None. The other None. side is out to get you as soon as you, as soon as you express a conservative thought they are going to tear you down. It doesn't matter how much you try to not, you know, try to not be um, too extreme or whatever. I'm just saying that you will never make them happy, right? And, And the result of that is, is you find out who, and I've been saying this for years as well, I'll just throw it out there. Conservatism, properly understood, is... Is liberalism, is progressivism, is moderatism, is pragmatism. It's all those, if those words have any meaning at all, actual American conservatism is all those things. And somebody who actually cares about the flourishing of other people, cares about freedom of thought and and, and expression, cares about the American experiment, uh, then, you know, you... In other words, you're going to find out who your friends actually are really yep. fast. Amen. Because yep. I have disagreed with you on numerous things. And vice versa. And but I love I you. Never, and ever, I love hanging out with you. And, and look, I got people on Facebook who call me all kinds of, yeah, you know, just. You and me both. Guy. I'm not kidding. A few years ago, had a fellow in my office who literally said about the Roman Catholic Church, good riddance, good riddance. That was the term, good riddance. I'm like, good riddance? What does that mean? That was like them telling me to piss off. That's one of my favorite things they told me. (laughs) I'm not, at the time, I wasn't technically Roman Catholic, but I was married to one and raising raising one. I I was like, good riddance? And this was about adoption agencies in Chicago or some nonsense. And and I'm like, but I'm going to continue... I'm going to continue talking to him and I can still consider him a cool guy that I can have conversations with. And he literally was okay. And this is the other thing. This is the other language they use our right to exist, right? 
Okay. So our right to, you know, it, it's hateful and it's hurtful because it means that I don't have a right to exist. That's nonsense. Because if that's the case, I've been told I shouldn't exist as a Christian, which is where I center my identity for, Me I mean, for years, <laughs> decades, I've been told that I shouldn't exist. I mean, people that I consider good friends have told me that, you know, that my belief system is, is, you know, whatever. I mean, well, bad, which the evil. bottom line is, is that there is, and it's been done to me too. There is an allowance in our country, in the United States, that you can talk to Christians crazy and say anything about them. You can disrespect them. You can tweet about them. You can write articles about them, but you can't do it to the LGBTQ plus. You can't do it marginally so to communities of color. That depends on who and what and when. You like, can't. You know. I, and, I'll and, tell you, you can't. I mean, well, I can't. If, if you're white, you probably can, can't. and that's wrong, I right? And, anyway. and likewise. Right. But again, being that I've been called a racist, I think I'm in a whole new ball game that I didn't even understand. I think the last point I want to make, because I'm recovering from surgery and I need to get some rest, but the last point I want to make, and, and then certainly it's your show, you can wrap it as you like, but there's also a generational divide that we really need to talk about. Gen Z is not Gen X, which is what I am. I think you're on the. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah you're on the low end of Gen X. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you and I grew up with baby boomer parents and greatest generation grandparents, or you could have had an overlap of greatest generation parents who had you at the tail end, depending on your birth order. And we grew up in a very different world. There was no technology. We absolutely respected our elders. It was yes, ma'am, no, sir. There was a way we treated one another. When we were dating in high school or college, you had to break up face to face. Maybe a note is your best case scenario. But you had to treat people with respect and dignity. And that has shifted. This generation, and I learned this on my college campus over the last weeks, this generation is a quick mercenary take you out. I will wreck you. It's their social media mentality. It's, it's, it's the thumbs, it's the text, it's the tweet. It's the very short, impactful, I don't like what you did. I don't like what you said. You're not the boss of me and I'm gonna make you pay for it. That's their mentality. There's a great article uh, that was out yesterday. I think the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times talking about the divide in corporate America between the people over 37 which are probably the millennials, I guess, or no, millennial meets Gen X kind of kind of in a crazy yeah, place. Xennials, whatever. Right. Yeah. And then you've got the young people who are now, most of these people that I'm dealing with on the college campus, the alums, the angry folks that I've been hearing from are people who just see the world differently than I do. And they don't know my experience and I'm trying to learn theirs because I'm trying to be their professor and connect with them. But what they showed me these past three weeks was that they're not interested in dialogue and they're not interested in apologies have no place in our society because if I say I'm sorry and you don't like it and then I try it again and you still don't like it, what, what am I going to do? If, if my apology's not, it's you get to judge my heart. You don't know what's sincere. I can't win. And Butch, we have to talk about that generational divide because it's impacting the church. It's impacting corporate America. It's impacting our politics. AOC is very different from you and I. She's of a progressive generation. They're very liberal. And I learned this on my campus. I am on a college campus with a lot of Ivy League educated professors who are under the age of 35. So they're between 
25 and 35, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever. They, their world is a black president exists. Their world is a black female vice president exists. Their world is a world of integration and, 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 and binary and non-binary and all these terms that you and I sit there and we're like, what the hell does that mean? And, and, and I would ask you, young people, give us a little bit of grace. And if you want to talk, teach, learn, listen, be patient. We're older than you. We're your elders. We don't, we're, we're trying to adjust. So I'll let you have it that, but I, that's how I see it. I, I, I think that's a very gracious point of view and I'm going to, I'm going to come at it a slightly different way. <laughs> I, uh, I want to close with, with the, uh, and I, I, I can say for a couple more minutes, but it's the, the show, the chair, like the next time we chat, we should talk about the Netflix show, the chair. What's Everybody amazing, has to watch it. That's your homework assignment. Yeah. What's amazing about that show is how, blind it is and i've watched some some shows that do not understand how stupid they are like like the producers do not understand <laughs> how lost they are on a certain topic the best example of this and my listeners have, have heard me talk about it before is brexit on hbo if you ever get a chance to watch that that's one where the producers think they understand something and they don't but the chair is a perfect example bob balaban is watching his class being taken away by an african-american professor who thinks it's a good thing that the students are not actually reading Moby Dick. They're not actually reading it. They don't care. Why all wouldn't they, they want to read Melville? He's awesome. All they want to talk about is intersectionality and race and gender uh, from an old, old book. And they don't actually talk <laughs> about the story or address the literature. So what I'm saying is, this is what I want to be, make clear. The reason that show is horrible, and I mean horrible, is because the students in that show are never questioned. They're never doubted. They're treated as clients, okay? They're treated as customers. Wow, that's They're treated deep. as pocketbooks. We have to make them happy because they're paying the bills. Number one, that ain't true because the taxes pay most of the bills. And secondly, yes, we're their elders. And that doesn't mean we know everything. But nope. if experience doesn't matter, then yeah. you're gonna have you to, there? you're gonna have to prove to me why you're at a college university at all. Yep. Other than to just check a box. And a lot of this is a is a platforming uh, versus forming problem. We have an institutional problem where people use as you know, you've all of in wrote a book called um, called Time to Build, and basically it talks about how most of our institutions are being used as platforms pe for people to show how great they are as opposed to tools to form themselves. So my take, if I'm going to lecture to the younger generation, is take the opportunities in front of you to make yourself a better person. Because I think that's our job is to be better. Absolutely. People. Professors should be seeking to make themselves better and so should students. But, right. but we have been around, I'm not a professor, but we've been around for a little longer and we we're there to help you. So I, I disagree. I don't, I don't think it's their job to show us grace and patience and maybe we'll come around. I think it's their job to stop thinking that they know everything and actually yeah. trying to learn from the people around them, including each right. other and including us. Right. That's, that's but I told I you saying. that's not their mindset. And this is our fault as nope. aunts, uncles, mothers, fathers. Yeah. Right. But what, what I mean by that is you and I 
had very clear boundaries growing up from our parents, from our teachers, from our professors. We had an expectation. You get your work done. You come to class. Yes, you can protest. I mean, in, when I was in college, it was apartheid. That, that was the big hot issue, right? And so when I think about that, that was an issue worth getting upset about. A tweet that didn't exist. There was no Twitter. Uh, there was no nothing. But my point is, you would get upset about something like this and burn the house down because it was something to do with somebody who was treated unfairly or unkind or Butch was arrested by the campus police and beat almost to death. And all of us as your peers would be like, hell no, that's not acceptable. That's the kind of protest we had now protest is, I don't like what you said and I'm gonna wreck you. And that's what these kids have been allowed to do to me. And the real losers in this, I'm going to be okay because I've built up a 30-year reputation and career. People, a lot of LGBTQ plus people who are on television with me are anchors and, and, and all kinds of people are pissed off because they think I've been treated like garbage. They have, and they know it, and they don't like how this went down. And they blame the administration for that, as do I, squarely. That's where I put the sure. blame. This was handled poorly. It I didn't have to letter. go down like this. Did the, yeah. that, that open email, and I love Paul Tribble, I do, but his email was horrible and it opened the gate. And by the way, it wasn't run by me. Nobody asked me what I thought being up. My name was all over it. And nobody said to me, <clears throat> you know, it wasn't balanced. It should have said, okay, there was a tweet in the public domain that upset some of our people. We're going to talk about it. Professor Nelson's not a bad person. She's not a, she didn't intend this. That's clear. We're going to talk about it. We're not going to operate in offense. We're not going to kill each other. We're not going to write nasty letters and threaten people. None of that was said. The only thing that was said is that I was bad. I caused real damage here. That was my favorite quote. That I was, um, I caused pain. So all these words were used to make me a villain. Well, I was a bad villain. And they have nothing to lose. This is why I don't think they're disappointed or disheartened, to quote them. They're not disappointed and disheartened. They love having somebody to lynch. And the truth is, you're yep. a great target. And you're yep. an African-American woman, which makes yep. it even more fun for them. Yep. I, I'm, I, I'm I think a conservative it's, I think, and a Christian, though. What this is really about well, is but my you're, last But you're a minority that. who's Christian, and that's always a dangerous dangerous place yeah because these 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 young people that we just talked about have no clue about the black church in america and the roots of the black church from which i come from and 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 that the black church is the most conservative place on earth right you didn't know it so next time LG we talk we should talk about that yeah we should and ask an lgbtq plus person who's black uh, my editor at the Grio, Jaron Gaynor, wrote a wonderful piece this week. If you can read it, folks, check it out, where he talks about being called the F word. You know, I can't say what it is. As, as a gay man growing up in the Black church and how that's acceptable. I hope it's not now, but I know growing up, I grew up in a church family. My brother's a preacher. My granddaddy was one. This thing runs deep with me, folks. So if you're not, if you're not really looking at who I am, you're missing why I am who I am. And I can tell you that I've seen things that make me bristle. I wrote about it in my open letter that I did when I went to Walgreens a few years ago and met with the LGBTQ plus community because I was being blackballed in corporate America, openly blackballed because I didn't believe in same-sex marriage. It didn't matter that I'm a noted scholar on 
on women, gender, politics, and policy and race. None of that mattered. What only mattered was as a Christian, I was opposed to something that's my faith related. And that made me a demon, villain, monster. And I wasn't allowed to go talk about women, about race, about politics, anywhere. That's disgusting. And let me tell you what, hear me. Let me, let me lean in. Preach I'm it. not doing it with you. I'm not doing it with you anymore. I'm not going to be bullied anymore. You're not kicking my butt around anymore. That's over. That ended today. It's over. I'm going to start doing the talking now. I'm going to start having the narrative reframe. I've got the platform to do it. I've got the relationships to do it. And this is going to be something I'm going to use, Butch, whether I ever set foot on the campus again or not, I don't know. But what I do know is, is that I'm not going to a campus where a thousand people have signed a petition calling me a racist. That I'm not going to do. I'm just not. I'm not going to fellowship and sit down with people who talk like that and who treat people like that. I'm not doing it. That's all I, I got to say. I can't possibly blame you. And that's uh, that's a great place to stop it. And thanks for coming on. We're going to we're going to talk again. I hope you uh, absolutely. I, I, I wish you and I pray for a speedy recovery from your <laughs> from your uh, health issues this week. I know it's a rough week to go through a surgery, right? It's so, been a rough week. It's been rough. So I hope you feel better. Get some rest. And we'll talk again soon. For those who are listening, please go have a great conversation with Play by Thanks for listening to Rules of the Game. Please give us a five-star review and share with all your friends who are interested in thoughtful and entertaining discussions. Be sure also to visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash rules of the game and on Facebook at facebook.com slash ROTG podcast. If you're interested in joining the conversation as a contributor or lively discussions with other thoughtful citizens, then go to greatconversations.us. Also, last but certainly not least, check out our sponsor and benefactor, Independent Education at indead.us, where they mastered the art of the micro school before it was cool.